You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. I wonder if anyone has heard of Robert Ripley. Has anyone heard of Robert Ripley? Well, if you haven't, perhaps you might recognise that name better uh, if I said, have you heard of Ripley's Believe It or Not? Robert Ripley began a cartoon feature in the New York Globe in 1919. And originally it featured featured incredible sporting achievements, uh, but it soon spread to other items and events. And the feature became so popular that it was soon adapted into a wide variety of formats on the radio, television, comic books, and even a worldwide chain of museums. And there's actually a Ripley's, believe it or not, museum on the Gold Coast in Australia. Ripley's success with, believe it or not, was based on bizarre items and events that were so strange and unusual that it caused the the readers to question the truth of the claims. Here's an example. Believe it or not. Did you know that the temperature of eggs in an alligator's nest determines whether the hatchlings will be male or females? Eggs incubated above 90 degrees Fahrenheit will be male and eggs incubated at or below 86 degrees Fahrenheit will be female. Believe it or not. Well, it's true. And and maybe that's why the males are hot-tempered and the, the ladies just chill. There are some things in life that are so weird, bizarre and unusual that they just seem so strange or so weird to be true. Let's take uh, another amazing claim this morning and put it to the challenge. How about this one? The Bible is God's written word to mankind. Believe it or not. The Bible is God's written word to mankind. Believe it or not. You know, it's such an amazing claim to consider that God who created the universe and everything in it, a God whom we can't see, has inspired men to write the Bible, a book that claims to be the written word of God. The Bible is God's written word to mankind. Believe it or not. Where do you stand? You know, this is such an important, crucial question to ask ourselves. Because if the Bible is God's written word to mankind, then it changes everything. It changes what we might and what we should believe about God. It changes what we should believe about heaven and how we might hope to get there. It changes what we should believe about ourselves and how we should live. It changes how we should relate to others. It changes what we should share with others. If the Bible really is 
God's written word to mankind, then it's a book that should be treasured. A book that should be read for all it's worth and a book whose instruction should be obeyed. So is the Bible really God's written word to mankind? Is there any proof? Well, this morning I want to briefly list just a few reasons to support this claim that the Bible is the written word of God. And it's a short list that uh, I like to have in the back of my mind, but also in the, in the front of my mind, because it can either help to establish your faith or strengthen your faith in the Bible and the Saviour that it proclaims, but it can also increase our confidence and boldness to share the Word of God and our Saviour with others. So let's consider this matter together this morning. The Bible is God's written word to mankind. Believe it or not. Well, first of all, what is the Bible and where did it come from? The English word Bible comes from the Greek word biblio, which means book. You know, at the end of a book, you might see the bibliography, the biblio, the bibliography. Now, the plural form of Biblio is Biblia, or books, and that was the first term used for the collection of the books that form the Bible. But as the Greek neuter plural has the same form as the Greek feminine singular, this grammatical nuance led to the books being or becoming known as the book or the Bible. Now, this wasn't actually entirely inappropriate as there was also a growing conviction about the unity of the whole collection of books that formed the Bible. Although the Bible consists of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament and and 27 in the New Testament, the Bible is still just one book dealing with just one subject, the salvation of mankind. And all of these books put together comprise the Bible. The writings of the Old and the New Testament are collectively called or known or referred to as the canon of Scripture. And this canon of Scripture, or the Bible as we know it today, was formally recognised as God's written word only after an exhausting process that was completed near the end of the 4th century AD. So then, how do we know that the Bible that we read and accept today is actually the written word of God? Well, there are many different reasons that we can give and raise. And if you were to take each of these reasons in isolation, then they may not offer absolute proof in themselves. But when you gather these reasons together and take them collectively, they comprise and constitute a very compelling case. To prove a case in a court of law... We hear evidence from from many witnesses and at the end of that evidence, the jury will deliberate and make a verdict. 
So what witnesses can we bring this morning to defend the case for the Bible being the written word of God? Now this morning I'm going to call 10 witnesses to give evidence for you to consider and then I'm going to ask you to make a verdict. And, and don't worry, I've asked these witnesses to be very brief in their testimony. We're not going to subject them to cross-examination this morning, but perhaps something that you can do in your own deliberations. And as before the courts, the barristers will be asked to present a brief of witnesses in advance so the court knows what's going to happen, how it's going to proceed. I'm going to give you my brief of witnesses this morning in advance. And there's 10 of them. The first is the witness of need, and then the witness of the Old Testament, the witness of Jesus, the witness of the New Testament, the witness of prophecy, the witness of unity, the witness of science, the witness of survival, the witness of experience, and the witness of accuracy. It's quite a, a long list of, of witnesses, but actually there's many more witnesses that you could bring, and I'm going to keep it brief this morning. So let's hear briefly from these witnesses. So I call my first witness to the stand this morning, the witness of need, or the witness of a need for a written revelation. You know, the existence of a God whom we cannot see can easily can be confirmed by philosophical arguments or reasoning and also the detailed nature of creation as we find it. But what else can we know about an invisible God except what he chooses to reveal to us about himself? If God is our maker, what does he require of us? And if God is our maker, how do we explain the mess that the world is in? How do we explain the imperfections and the deteriorating state of nature, our physical bodies and our relationships? If an invisible God is our maker, then we need him to reveal himself to us and provide answers for our situation, for our dilemma. And the most accurate and enduring and appropriate revelation would be a written word. Put simply, mankind needs a written revelation from God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, is there such a book that makes claim to this title? I call my second witness to the stand, the witness of the Old Testament. The Bible claims for itself the unique distinction of being the word of God. The phrase, thus says the Lord, or its equivalent, appears over 2,000 times in the Old Testament. This is what Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 8, verse 11, as he wrote, this is what the Lord says to me. And the prophet Jeremiah also put it likewise in chapter 1, verse 9. Jeremiah asserts, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. The Old Testament makes repeated claims to be the written word of God. 
Now, you wouldn't take the testimony of the Old Testament about itself to prove its case, just as you wouldn't take the testimony of a surgeon who said he's the greatest surgeon in the world to, uh, to validate that statement. You'd want independent and corroborating evidence. But regarding the Bible as the written word of God, you would at least expect it to make that claim. You would at least expect the Bible to make the claim that it is the written word of God. But who else can testify on behalf of the Old Testament and perhaps the New as well? We invite our third witness to the stand, the witness of Jesus. Jesus claimed that the word of God is inspired and infallible. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus says, Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. When Jesus was here referring to the law, he was referring to the written Old Testament. And the use of the terms the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen indicates how highly Jesus regarded the Old Testament. In many instances, Jesus reiterated his belief in the infallibility of the Old Testament scriptures. For example, Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, when he was answering some of his opponents, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And another example recorded in John 10, verse 35. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside. So Jesus accepted that the Old Testament scriptures were in fact the written word of God. Jesus viewed the scripture as verbally inspired and wholly trustworthy. And to deny his view is to deny his person. And to accept his person is to accept his view of Scripture. Jesus claimed to be God, the Son of God. The Old Testament Scriptures and prophecies pointed to him. His perfect life and miracles reflected the love and the power of God. And his death and resurrection confirmed his identity identity as the Son of God. If you believe that Jesus is God, whom he claimed to be, then you must accept his view of Scripture. But it wasn't just the Old Testament. Jesus also pre-authenticated the New Testament. He said to his disciples in John 14, verse 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, Jesus taught his disciples for three years before his death and his resurrection. And these disciples were the apostles sent out by Jesus and aided by the Holy Spirit to establish the foundational teaching 
of the New Testament church. And regarding that foundational teaching of the church, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, said that the church is founded on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the writers of Scripture, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, apart from these apostles, other New Testament writers were also later authorised by Jesus, such as the Apostle Paul, or writers authorised as taught by the apostles, people like Mark, Luke and James, and possibly Barnabas, if he was the writer of the book of Hebrews. So considering Jesus' pre-authentication and authorization of these writers, we now call our fourth witness to the stand, the witness of the New Testament. The New Testament writers also accept that the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, are the written word of God. The New Testament writers assert that the Old Testament prophets spoke and wrote the word of God. The writer of Hebrews, for example, in chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And New Testament writers like Matthew also spoke of the Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus Christ as in this way, in Matthew 1, verse 22. Matthew said, All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. And he was uh, referring to the prophet Isaiah and God calling his son Jesus out of Egypt. Matthew, like Jesus and the Jews of the day, believed the Old Testament to be the written, infallible word of God, accepting on every hand the testimony of the writers that what they said was what God said. But not only that, the New Testament writers were also aware of their own inspiration as they wrote. The Apostle Paul, in a key passage dealing with inspiration, wrote to Timothy in his second letter, chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So the Apostle Paul asserts that Scripture has its origin in God, not in man. And the word used here, the Greek word used here by Paul is theonustos, which means God-breathed. So Paul claims that the creative breath of God himself gave us Scripture. And another of the Apostle disciples also recognized Paul's letters to the church as scriptures inspired by God when Peter wrote these words in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, regarding Paul's letters to the church as being the written word of God, scriptures. His letters, Paul's letters, contain some things that are hard to understand. Who knows that? Which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures, 
to their own destruction. So Peter recognized that Paul's apostolic writings and letters to the church were in fact scriptures inspired by God. And likewise, the Apostle John wrote down the whole book of Revelation under the direct instruction of Jesus. These New Testament writers all bear strong witness to being authorised and inspired by God to write on his behalf. Now, the Bible declares that a true prophet who speaks or writes on behalf of God is one whose prophetic words are fulfilled. So with this in mind, let's call our next witness to the stand, the witness of prophecy. The accuracy of Bible prophecy bears strong witness to Scripture originating from God. There are so many prophecies in the Bible that have been accurately fulfilled. There's over 300 Old Testament prophecies concerning the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that were fulfilled. And I want to give you just a a few examples, and you can look up others yourself. For example, the prophet Micah in chapter 5, verse 2, foretold of Jesus' Bethlehem birthplace. The prophet Isaiah foretold of Jesus' virgin birth in chapter 7, verse 14, and also of his resurrection in chapter 53, verse 11. And one of the the most incredible, amazing prophecies of the Old Testament was written by the prophet Daniel, who spoke on God's behalf in chapter 9, Verse 25, Daniel says, you know, he was instructed to, to write this down, given this by an angel on behalf of God. And Daniel uh, accurately records and prophesies the timeline to the year of Jesus appearing on the world stage of history. And that is just incredible. Fulfilled prophecies, like all of these and others, over which Jesus had no human influence whatsoever, gives strong witness to the scriptures being the written word of God. Our first five witnesses so far, they're all united in their agreement that the Bible is the written word of God. And this corroboration and and uniform testimony, testimony of these witnesses introduces my next, the witness of unity. As previously mentioned, the Bible contains 66 books written by over 35 different authors or people, perhaps up to 40. It's written in three different languages originally, in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It was written under different circumstances by writers of almost every social rank, educated and uneducated. Jews and Gentiles, most of them unknown to each other. And writing at various periods over a space of 1,500 to 1,600 years. And yet, and yet, after all of this, after all of this, the Bible is still just one book dealing with just one subject, the salvation of man, man's redemption. It's the same God who reveals himself in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
a God who condemns sin but is ever ready to show mercy, and a God who has chosen sacrifice as his method of salvation, a God who sent his Son, predicted by the prophets in the Old Testament and manifested in the flesh in the New Testament. We've heard from many witnesses so far, and they present a strong, unified case. But if the Bible is truly the written word of God, then everything about it and everything in it must also be true. So with this in mind, to complete the case for the defence, our final witnesses will testify to the truthfulness of the Bible. Let's call our next witness of science. If the Bible is the true written word of God, then we would expect it to be consistent with science, to not contradict science. Even if scientific knowledge at the time of its writing was limited. And that is exactly what we discover. And I'll give you just two examples. There's many more. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 22, speaks of a round earth 700 years before Christ. Even though men considered the earth to be flat, well beyond 1500 AD, when sailors feared sailing off the edge of the earth. They feared sailing off the edge of a flat earth, even beyond 1500 AD. But 700 years before Christ, Isaiah wrote of a round earth. Another example, Job in chapter 36, verse 27 and 28, speaks of the the hydrologic water cycle, thousands of years before its discovery by the Roman engineer Marcus Vitruvius in 30 BC. Now these are just two, two examples of scientific truths known at the time of writing only by God and not the writer. And furthering the cause of truth, if the Bible is truly the written word of God, then we would expect it to be available to the end of our times. And this is the witness of survival. There's been many attempts to eradicate the Bible or keep it from men on the streets over the ages. And yet, despite this, the Bible has survived over three and a half thousand years through human history as predicted by the Bible and Jesus himself. Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 8, wrote, The grass withers, And the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The word of our God endures forever. And Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, in the New Testament, said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. If God inspired the Bible for the sake of mankind then we would expect it to endure for the sake of mankind and for his benefit. And if the Bible is truly the written word of God, written for the sake of mankind, then we would also expect it to transform our lives according 
to its stated objectives. And this is the witness of experience, the witness of personal experience. The influence of the the Bible to transform people, communities and societies right across the world gives strong witness to its claim to be the written word of God. Millions upon millions of people across the ages have applied the teaching of the Bible in their own lives and found it to be true. It's not that the Bible has been tried and found wanting, but rather far too often the Bible has been wanted and not tried. Wherever the Bible has been applied personally or in community or in society, it's brought great benefit. And put simply, the Bible works. And why does it work? Because it is the written word of God who knows and understands what works for us because he made us, he created us. And finally, our last witness to the truth is the witness of accuracy. The witness of the factual accuracy of the Bible. If the Bible is written by a perfect God, then its facts and details also must be perfectly true. And confirmation with archaeology, dates, kings, countries and cultures all bear this out. What we read in the Bible relates accurately to the history of mankind and the secular recorded history of mankind. Archaeological findings and secular historical records line up with the biblical record. The Bible's not some fanciful, fictional storybook. It's not some opium for the masses. No, the Bible is a real-life historical account of God's involvement in the history of his creation. Accurate in all of its details, God's written word on which we can have a full assurance of faith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the defence rests. There's a, lot, there's a lot more that we could say, but I'm going to rest. And you probably need a rest too. Well, what's your verdict? Is the Bible the written word of God? We've briefly... We've considered a range of, of different evidence and arguments this morning. And maybe you need some time to deliberate, to consider the evidence before you make and deliver your judgment, your verdict. If that's the case, then take the time, evaluate the evidence, and make your own decision. But my suggestion to you this morning is that the evidence does stack up. And we can put our trust in the Bible as the written word of God. Our faith depends on it. Our future depends on it. And the future of our neighbours depends on it. So I encourage you this morning to be bold and courageous and stand upon the written word of God with confidence. Read it for all it's worth. Treasure it. And follow its instruction for your own good. And be bold and confident as you share the word of God and the Saviour, Jesus Christ, whom it proclaims.
God bless you. And let's pray and let's give thanks that he has revealed himself to us. Heavenly Father, though we can't see you, we come to you in faith this morning, knowing that you exist and are a rewarder of those who seek you out. God, we thank you that you haven't left us floundering in the dark, even though we cannot see you fully as yet because of our sin and the fall of mankind. But we thank you that you have revealed yourself. You have left us your written word upon which to rely. Your word that reveals Jesus Christ as the saviour of mankind. Come to redeem us from this fallen state of sin. And thank you that your written word uh, gives us hope and confidence in the things to come, the life to come, that we can have confidence that death will have no hold on us at all, that we will live in eternity and then we will see you face to face and know you then just as now we are fully known by you. So Father God, help us to read your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will illuminate the word and help us to understand it. And Holy Spirit, give us a confidence and a boldness to stand upon your word and to share the saviour that it proclaims with a needy world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.